0: Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at coreorg live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, my name is Lydia Kim, and I'm one of your pastors here. I invite you now to hear these words of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by the time the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture.
1: We're in the midst of our summer revival and we're focusing on Jesus at the lake. And my hope is that you find yourself revived, renewed, replenished, and you remember who you are and Christ's call on your life during this series of messages. So today we're gonna talk about Jesus' love of boats. Last week, we learned that Jesus loved the lake. He moved from his hometown of Nazareth 20 miles and made his new hometown, the town of Capernaum on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. 50 times the lake, Lake Galilee, Lake Kinneret, Lake Gennesaret, Lake tiberius it goes by all these names, the Sea of Galilee, uh, 50 times it's mentioned in the Gospels. Jesus spends most of the three years of his public ministry, the last three years of his life in and around the Sea of Galilee. And, and we also read in the Gospels that Jesus seemed to love boats. So Jesus, 50 times boats are mentioned in the Gospels. It seems clear that Jesus loves riding on the boat. Sometimes it's to get away from the crowd. Sometimes it's just he liked being on the water, I think. He went fishing. He, he, he uh, calmed the wind and the waves. He, he went to places to heal the sick. He taught his disciples. But I think he really loved being on the boat on the lake. I want to show you the Sea of Galilee and I want you to notice how close these villages are. So Jesus made Capernaum, his hometown, just a mile away was Tabgha. It'd take you 30 minutes or less to walk there. Gennesar is another maybe 45 minutes away from there. Magdala is over here. That's another maybe 45 minutes from there. Tiberius, we well, never went to Diberius that we know about, but uh, Bethsaida he goes over here. That's, a, that's an hour and 30 minute walk. Jesus could walk to any of these places almost as fast as he could take a boat. So some, for some reason, he chooses most of the time to take a boat. I think Jesus really loved Boats. I shared with you last week that LaVon and I have been going to the Lake of the Ozarks for the last 18 years. And 11 or 12 years ago, we bought a house down there and and we ended up getting a boat. Uh, It's a nine-year-old open bow sport boat. And we really enjoy the boat. It's just fun to go out on the boat. Uh, our dogs love going out on the boat. We have two dogs with us, um, Rocky and Maybell, and you'll see Rocky in a moment. And when we say, hey, we're going out on the boats, they run as fast as they can down the steps. They can't wait to get on the boat. And they often they'll both be up front and their ears are flopping in the wind and and you know, I love just feeling the wind in my hair. I love it when Lavon drives sometimes and I'm exhausted, I'll just lay down in the front of the boat and I go to sleep with the waves, you know, the boat just bouncing. And, and at night we love to see the sunset. And, and sometimes when it's dark, we go out and we look at the stars. Now, here's a little video footage of, uh, of just taking the boat out on the lake. Take a look. <laughs> So I wanna tell you about this boat that I'm standing by right now. So this boat was created by our master craftsman, one of our staff members. Uh, This is by Frank Gencilli and a couple of our volunteers. And it is a nearly exact replica of the kind of boats that people used in the first century fishing on the Sea of Galilee. We know because there were two first century boats that we have found on the Sea of Galilee. This one's a 90% scale model because we couldn't get 100% through the doorway. So this one's 22 feet long and it's six feet across. The boats in Jesus' day, as near as we can tell, seven and a half feet was their beam, seven and a half feet across, and about 25 or 26 feet uh, from stem to stern. And so the reason why we know this, how we know this, and by the way, I I wanted you to be able to see that this, when you read these stories, this is the kind of boat that Jesus is traveling in across the Sea of Galilee 50 times. So, uh, so the way we know what this looked like, these two first century boats, one was uh, in 1986, January of 86, the waters of the, of, the, uh, of the Galilee were way down and hundreds of yards of, of uh, seabed were exposed. And there were a couple of archaeologists, amateur archaeologists, they were out walking in the mud, searching for stuff they might find that was usually underwater. And they came across an indentation, And it looked like the shape of a boat. Here's a picture of one of those brothers standing on top of that indentation. And uh, and so they began to dig, and they found there was actually wood there alongside. And and, and then as they began to dig more, uh, they brought in an archaeologist. He came out, and he said, hey, this is a really old boat. This this is from the Roman period. They didn't know. Was it from 30 years ago or 100 years ago? It was from the Roman period. And so uh, they began an official excavation. That's what you see in this next image. And uh, and so they began excavating the boat. They have to be very, very careful. And uh, and it's a long, drawn-out process. And then they finally, when they get it extricated, they they have to spray it constantly for seven years they sprayed this with, uh, with a, a, a compound that was like a synthetic wax that would fill all of the cells of the wood so that it was stabilized. And so today this is what this boat looks like if you take a look on the screen. And it is uh, a fishing boat. It was carbon dated to, AD, or to uh, BC 40, 40 BC and within 80 years of that, so 120 BC to 40 AD, and what we find on this boat is it is 26 feet long. It's uh, seven and a half feet wide. It probably rose to about four and a half feet tall. There was a place for a mast and there was a place for four sets of oars. And, and from that, we know basically what these fishing boats look like. Now, in, uh, in oh, I think it was maybe 30 or 40 years ago in the town of Migdal or Magdala along the seashore, there was another boat that was found, but it wasn't like what we just saw. It was actually a representation of a boat in a tile mosaic. Here's a picture of it. And uh, and it shows us, this is from the first century as well, and it shows us what these boats likely looked like. And so based upon this, archaeologists have recreated what these Jesus boats looked like or the boats that Jesus would have been in. Uh, Josephus tells us there were 230 of them on the Sea of Galilee in the first century. They were primarily for fishing, but some transport as well. And that's what you see here. That's what this boat represents. It would have looked, the boat of Jesus would have looked something like this. All right, when I take people to the Holy Land, so uh, I've taken over 1,000 people to the Holy Land in the last 28 years. And when I do, the thing that they often say is their favorite experience is boarding these large boats that are meant to look like very old boats. And we go across the Sea of Galilee and the shoreline looks very much the way it did in the time of Jesus is largely undeveloped. And so we take the boat out and then we stop in the middle of the lake and we sing songs and we tell these stories of what happened with Jesus on the lake. And I wanted you to be able to experience that just to get a taste of what it's like to be in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, take a look. If you have your Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. And I'd like to walk through the scripture that we have before us today. So in Matthew chapter 14, it begins with Jesus finding out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. This is his childhood friend, his cousin, his colleague in ministry who was preaching the kingdom of God, who baptized Jesus, and he has been beheaded by by Herod Antipas. And from here, we find, well, we read these words in chapter 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. He didn't actually go by himself. He went with his disciples, but, but the sense is that he's grieving. And of course, he loses another friend in the gospels. He loses Lazarus and he weeps at that point. So here we find Jesus grieving. He needs to get away from the people. He and the, and the disciples get in the boat and they try to go to a solitary place where they can be alone. But of course, all the people can see on the Sea of Galilee where he's heading. They can tell he's heading in the direction according to Luke's gospel, of Bethsaida. Let me just show you where that is. So Jesus is probably taken off again from Capernaum over here. He's heading towards Bethsaida over here. This is the Jordan River right here flowing into the Sea of Galilee. And by the way, the Jordan River creates an invisible line through the Sea of Galilee, and where it exits at the bottom, you have two halves of the lake. If you cross over the lake, all it means is you crossed over that invisible line right there from one side of the Jordan to the other. Jesus goes across the lake. He goes to some place around Bethsaida, according to Luke, and, and, and away from the village, maybe the fields nearby, and he just wants to be with his disciples. But all these people see where he's gone and they all wanna be with Jesus. They wanna hear what he has to say. They want to experience a miracle. They wanna have him pray for them or their children. And so, so they begin to make their journey around there. It takes about an hour and 20 minutes from Capernaum to walk. If you're walking at a you know, rel- relatively slow pace, to make your way to Bethsaida. So they begin walking. There are people in boats and they begin coming. The fishermen begin coming over. And so within the hour, there are hundreds and then thousands of people who show up. There's eventually 5,000 men plus women and children. How many would that be? 10,000, maybe 20,000 people who show up when Jesus is looking for some alone time. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't turn them away. He begins to preach and teach and heal and and you get to the end of the day, he's exhausted, right? And he's, he's grieving. He's, he's in emotional pain. And his disciples say, please send the crowds away. There's nothing for them to eat here. Please send them away. And Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. And they say, Jesus, we only packed five loaves of bread and two fish. And he says, well, that's okay. Bring it here. And he instructs the people to sit down. And they sit down in groups, I think, of 50 and he begins to, uh, and this, this, by the way, this story is recorded in all four gospels. The only miracle except the resurrection that's recorded in all four gospels. And so Jesus instructs them to sit down and he begins to pray. He, he gives thanks to God. He blesses the bread and he breaks it. So that's sort of sounds like communion in John's gospel. This is kind of a communion story. And he begins to hand each of the disciples, here, you take this chunk and share it with some of those people. You take this chunk, you take this chunk, take a half a loaf, take a half a loaf. And then here's some dried fish and let's, let's hand it out. And they're like, come on, Jesus, seriously? No, just do it. And so they start doing it. And then Jesus, somehow they come back and he's got more bread than, than when they started. And he keeps handing out this bread and the fish. And, and this whole story is meant to remind you of something. So remember the gospel stories about Jesus are trying to tell you who is this man. And then what does that mean for you? So who is this man? Well, I want you to remember when the Israelites were set free from slavery in Egypt, they were hungry in the wilderness and God provided for the manna That is a a coriander-like substance on the ground that they turned into bread and uh, quail. So God provided uh, bread and quail for the Israelites in the wilderness. And here they're in a kind of wilderness. They're in a place where they're alone without enough food. And Jesus provides them, all of them, bread and fish, enough with 12 basketfuls left over. You're meant to look at this and go, Jesus is doing the very thing that God did in the Sinai. Somehow God has come to us in Jesus. That's what Christians believe, that God has come to us. Remember, Matthew's gospel starts off telling the story of the birth of Jesus. And he says, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. All right, so after this is done and he's fed all these people and it's dusk, and he tells the disciples, get into the boat and you all go back across, the, you know, across to the other side. Remember, that's just across that invisible line. They're going to go back to Capernaum. Should have been about a 45 minute, maybe an hour long boat ride if they had to oar, oar a bit. Jesus is then gonna send the crowds away. And and how's he gonna get back without a boat? He's gonna walk back. It's gonna take him an hour and 20 minutes the next morning, but at least he's gonna have some Jesus time, some alone time. And he goes up after he dismisses the crowd, he goes to a mountain and he prays by himself. But then a storm comes up from the the winds begin to come from the north and west. And they begin to push against that boat and they're oaring and oaring, rowing against that boat or against the wind. And the wind keeps buffeting them and the waves begin to rise and they begin being pushed back. John says three to four miles south of, uh, of the seashore. In the middle of a storm on a lake on the Sea of Galilee. All right, so I want to remind you of this. And I, I just want to recognize that, you know, if you're in a boat on a lake and it begins the storm, you want to get under shelter as quick as possible. There's the lightning. There's a chance of something, you know, terrible happening. It's happened to us on the lake where we've had to hurry back as fast as we can. And, and sometimes you get caught and you get in the rain and you're a little scared when the lightning and the, and the waves, you know, the white caps come up. Well, you know, our lake at the Lake of the Ozarks is 50 miles, or 50 miles, it's a half a mile across the Sea of Galilee is eight miles across and 13 miles deep. And they're in the middle of the deepest part of the lake, and they're afraid. Uh, by the way, Wednesday was my birthday, and, uh, and we were down at the lake. And at 1030, a storm came up. And I love being there when the storms come up. You hear the thunder rumbling around all of the hillsides around the Ozarks, unless I'm on a boat in the middle of the lake. I was not. I was on my screen in porch, and I took a little video. Take a look. Hear the rain, you hear the thunder. And you know it's beautiful as long as you're inside or on your screen and porch. It's a very different matter when you're on the lake. And in the case of the disciples, they didn't have blue dock lights every few yards that would tell them where the shoreline was. It was pitch dark, and the wind was building and the waves were building, and the rain and the thunder. You begin to feel no life jackets. You begin to feel how desperate they must have felt. So we read in Matthew 14, verses 24 and 25. By this time the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. Now listen. In the middle of that storm and early in the morning, in, in the Greek, it's the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. Early in the morning, 3 a.m., he came walking towards them on the sea. I love this. Jesus was watching them the whole time. Right? And he's concerned about them. He cares about them, and he knows they're terrified, and he comes walking to them on the sea. And then this is what he says. They think he's a ghost. And he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. I love that line. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. This is what Jesus would say to us. You see, these stories, of course, they they become our favorite stories in the Bible because they're telling us not just about what Jesus said to the disciples in the boat. but We recognize our lives are at times in the middle of a storm. And we're in a boat in a, you know, in a dark place with terrible winds and waves. And Jesus comes to us as well. We might not literally be in a boat, but in our lives, we find ourselves in storms. And in those storms, we trust that Jesus comes to us too. That's why we love these stories. That's why they speak so much to us, not just about what he did 2000 years ago, but what he does in our lives today. He continues to say to us, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. When he says it is I, that's a weird construction. You would think, why does it say it's me? Well, the translators are trying to hold on to something. In the Greek, it's ego eimi, which means I am. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. That's an even stranger construction. But I want to remind you of something. In the Hebrew Bible, uh, when Moses says, what is your name at the burning bush? What is your name? And God says, my name, tell the Israelites, my name is I am. I am who I am. Yahweh is the Hebrew. At least we think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, sometimes people pronounce it Jehovah. I am that I am. I am being itself. I am life itself. Jesus is saying something when he's walking on the water. Who else can walk on the water? The Bible says only God walks on the water. Again and again in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, we find that God treads the waves and he calms the winds and the waves. Right? God does that, but Jesus has come along and he's doing that. God feeds the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus is feeding these people, the fish and the loaves. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us right? And he comes to us. He came to them in the wind and the waves. I love this. All right, on Thursday, I received word. I was in the office and I received word that a a young woman in our congregation had been with me on the last Israel trip along with her, uh, then fiance, they got married after that trip, had received word that she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. She's never smoked a day in her life. A a young woman and, and newly married and And so I went by to see her this week and to pray with her. And as we talked on the phone and then as we talked in person, anointed her with oil and prayed for her and for her doctors and, and for God to use them. And, and, you know, so far the cancer hasn't spread anywhere else except in her lungs. And so we're going to pray really good things for her. And, but right now it feels like she's in the middle of a storm in a boat in the middle of the night and that boat might just capsize. You understand this. I don't know what your life situation is right now. Many of you are, are, are joining us for worship and the skies are clear and sunny and it's smooth sailing and that's awesome. But can I tell you, the wind can, shave, can change in a moment's notice. It just takes that for the storm to come. And that's what happened to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. That's what happens in our lives and all of a sudden there's a car accident or all of a sudden there's a diagnosis or all of a sudden there's a job loss or a divorce notice or whatever it might be. But in our lives, we're all gonna know storms. God doesn't cause them. He doesn't want them to happen. This is just a part of life. And, you know, if you're at the lake, you just understand there is risk involved in the lake. Two people died at the Lake of the Ozarks over the Fourth of July weekend. One was a little six-year-old. One, one was a man my age who you know, had a great family. And, and, and so you have no idea sometimes what can happen. Life can change like that. And the question is, do you know the one who walks on the wind and the waves who can calm our souls, who can calm the wind and the waves in our hearts? Do you know the one who loves us and watches over us? And it's not that he makes sure that nothing bad ever happens to us. He just lost his good friend. He's going to be crucified, tortured to death. It's that he's promising, I'm going to walk with you through it. And no matter what, I'm going to see you through. Maybe here, maybe there. And as we often say around here, the worst thing is never the last thing. So we remember what Jesus said, don't be afraid. It's I, do not be afraid. It's interesting when I talked to this couple, they said our mantra has been since your sermon last Sunday and probably before that, but but last Sunday we talked about this too, 140 times in the Bible, God, Jesus, angels, Moses, the prophets, the, the, the apostles say the same thing. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Or sometimes the psalmist, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And that's really the primary reason why we don't have to be afraid is because he comes to us walking in the water. We trust that no matter how dark things may be, He's going to walk with us. He's going to step into our boat. Somehow He's going to rescue us. It may be here or it may be in the eternal uh, kingdom to come. Be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Uh, On that same day that I found out and was visiting with this young couple, a woman walked in the offices. She was looking for Debbie Nixon. She came up and she said, I just needed a hug. And I didn't know what the story was. I was standing there and then I began to hear her story. And she says, Pastor Adam, you say the worst thing is never the last thing with my head. I believe that. But can I tell you right now, I can't handle one more thing. And I hugged her and Debbie hugged her and we stopped and and prayed for her. And and then I reminded her of this story. And I said, I know right now it feels like you you can't handle one more thing. God understands that, right? How hard life is sometimes. And, and, and at the same time, there are times we have a tendency to catastrophize, to assume the worst is going to happen. Uh, you know, everything's going to go downhill from here. And, and maybe it will. But here's what I know. Jesus says, I'm with you. Do not be afraid. I'm going to see you through. And he's going to see you through what you're walking through right now. I don't know how. I just know it's going to happen. Be encouraged. I am. Do not be afraid. All right, I was thinking about the winds and the waves, and and I asked our team, you know, can you come up with a little more video footage of of what that would have felt like if you were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee? and, And this was from a lake somewhere in that vicinity. Take a look. And I want you to imagine being in the boat that's behind me with the treacherous shores and those winds and waves in the darkness, complete darkness. And that's how some people you know, some of your friends, some of your family, maybe you, that's what life feels like right now for you. And maybe if it's your friend or your family, part of your task is to come alongside them and to be their stretcher bearers, to be their caregivers, not to have all the answers, but maybe to remind them Jesus said in this story, I'm here, I am, don't be afraid. And I've come to put flesh on Jesus for you. That's what this woman was looking for on that Thursday when she wanted a hug from somebody. She just needed to feel. There was somebody else with her in the boat and she wasn't all by herself. That's why I went to anoint this young woman and pray for her and her husband who uh, was diagnosed with cancer. You're not by yourself. And I came, in fact, this is what I pray. Lord, help me to be you for this person. I wonder if you ever pray that. Lord, help me to be you for somebody else who's in the midst of a storm in life. I want you to hear what happens next. I love this. Peter answered Jesus. So Jesus standing out there on the water. It's like, not like, come on, Jesus, get in the boat. No, uh, Jesus. So Simon Peter walks up to him and he says this. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to go out to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, well, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. When, but when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him don't you love this story now again part of why we love this story is cuz we've all been Simon peter and we understand that Simon peter took his eyes off jesus but here's the thing we we look at simon we sometimes yeah he's the disciple who took his eyes off jesus looked at the winds and he got scared and he began to sink you know but where were the other disciples The other disciples are huddled in fear on the boat. Only Simon has the courage to stand there on the edge, no life jacket, and say, Jesus, if it's really you, bid me to come out there on the water too. And he actually steps out of the boat and onto the water. I mean, for a split second, he's sharing in the power of God as he steps on the water. He's trotting on the water as only God could do until Jesus did it. And so uh, I just say, you got to give him some credit here. The other ones are huddled in fear. Simon Peter has the courage to at least step out, even if for a moment he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And of course, the story is trying to teach us in the middle of the storms, keep your eyes focused on Jesus, remember Jesus. And and here's part of what happens in our lives is we take our eyes off of Jesus. I know there are some of you who are joining right now for this worship service at one of our locations on TV or online. And this is the first time you've been at church in a long time. And the thing is, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, right? We find things are a lot scarier. We forget he's with us all the time. We forget who he is or his power in our lives. And we find we can make a mess of our lives when we take our eyes off the master. And, and, and this is part of what going to church does for me is every Sunday, at least every Sunday, and when I'm on my knees every morning, and when I pray throughout the day, I stop and I remember that he's with me. And I try to keep my eyes focused on Jesus And it keeps me from falling. But even when we fall, even when you've fallen away from God, even when you've, you know, you've wandered off the path and you cry out, Jesus, save me. I love this. This is a prayer Peter is teaching us. Jesus, save me. Jesus reaches out his hand and he picks him up. This story is for us as well, because we're all Simon Peter sometimes. And that prayer, Simon Peter taught us a prayer last week. He, remember that prayer, he says, he says, because you say so, I will let down the nets because you say so. And so, you know, sometimes reluctantly we do what God wants. But in this particular prayer, he's saying, you know, Lord, save me. That's three, three words. Lord, save me. I wonder if you'll just say that out loud with me right now, wherever you are, just say it out loud. Lord, save me. Now I want to ask you to do something else. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about the pickle you got yourself in or maybe how far you are from God or just the, just the need for his rescuing in your life on a daily basis. And would you just with your eyes closed, would you actually pray that out loud? Lord, save me. All right. So... Jesus reached out and he caught him. Now, I want to remind you of a couple other things. Simon Peter, Simon was just Simon until in, uh, in the uh, gospel of Matthew chapter 16, uh, two chapters later, we read these words. I tell you, this is after Simon has the courage to say, I believe you're, you're, that you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, Peter means rock, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of death itself are not strong enough to withstand the church. And I'm going to build this church on you, Simon Peter, Simon Petros, Simon the rock. He had the courage, even if he failed, even if he looked away sometimes, he had the courage to get out of the boat. Let me just just mention this to you. I think this part of the story is meant to call all of us to step out of our boats. We can be like those, I think John Ortberg called them, boat potatoes. All the other 11 disciples sitting back there in the boat, huddled together, shivering, right? We can try to stay, you know, play it safe all the time. But there are times, and we learned this last week too, where Jesus is asking us, I need you to get out of the boat. I need you to get out of your safe zone, and I need you to do something for me. I need you to do something for somebody else. He's going to call us to walk on the water. He's going to call us to do the dangerous or difficult thing. We talk around here about discernment. How do we discern what God's will is? And there's a principle we use called discernment by nausea. And it says if there's two pathways before you, and one is easy and safe and convenient, and the other one is hard and difficult and makes you a little sick to your stomach, it's probably the path that makes you sick to your stomach that God is calling you to take. Discernment by nausea. Get out of the boat. I remember several years ago, I was preaching this text and it was a blood drive the next day. And I said to our people, I don't know what this means for you, but tomorrow's a blood drive. And I'm guessing there's some of you who have never given blood because you've been afraid of the needle or afraid of coming. And I just want to encourage you, consider stepping out of the boat. And the next day I was there giving blood. And there were like 25 different people who came up and said, I stepped out of the boat, Pastor Adam. Today, I gave blood for the very first time. I decided Jesus needed my blood and he was going to be with me. And it was just so fun to see what happens. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I know that Jesus calls us to step out of the boat. All right, in the end, Jesus steps into the boat with the disciples. He picks Peter up, puts him in the boat, he climbs in the boat, and suddenly the wind and the waves are completely calm. Which is what happens when we allow, when we invite Jesus into our boats. Our boat represents, in this case, our lives. It represents who we are and our life situation. We invite Jesus into the boat, and he has the power to calm the wind and the waves. Something God, up to this point, only God could do, Jesus is doing for the disciples and now for us. I wanna begin to wrap this up by sharing with you that in 2018, there was a terrible storm that came to five families and their whole network of friends. They lived not far from here. They were in Olathe and Blue Valley area, this community. And and, uh, the kids, there were five kids. They were all in college. They were, I think, 19, 20, 21 years old. And uh, for a couple of them, it was their senior year, I think, in college. And uh, or coming up to their senior year. And they'd all decided to go to the Lake of the Ozarks, about eight miles from where, uh, from where my house is. So they were, we're at 55 and they were at the 47 mile marker. And that night they decided to have some fun and to go out in the boat late at night. And, and the moon wasn't out that night. It was one of those nights that was moonless. And so it was pretty dark out and they take the boat out and they don't know the lake very well. And you know, at night, if you don't know what you're doing you don't know what you're looking for you can get into trouble really fast. And there's stretches of the lake where there are no docks and you see no blue lights you just see nothing. It's just dark. And they were boating and having fun until the boat ran right into the bluff. Three of the kids were thrown from the boat and probably killed instantly. And two of them were, were injured in the boat, but their bodies were, they were still in the boat. And that boat began to drift. And, and there were some fishermen that came along and they found the boat and they called the emergency uh, you know, nine one one, and a helicopter was sent. And one of those girls inside the boat, her name was Ashley. She survived eight surgeries, rebuilding her cranium. And 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 the other the young man who was driving, he survived. And the and the three who were thrown out had died. One of the girls who was thrown out was a member of our congregation, Haley Hockenadle, and uh, and her grandparents were founding members of our church, uh, John and Alma Dollum And uh, and Ashley, her dad is a member of the congregation. We had Haley's funeral here in our sanctuary, 2018. I drive past that place probably every time I'm down at the lake in the boat, and I pause and I remember there's a cross that's there over on the side, uh, over just at the bottom of that little bluff where they were killed. There was a storm that happened, a terrible storm, not literally, but spiritually and emotionally in these families' lives. When I was preaching the funeral, you know, part of what I wanted to say to that group in the sanctuary was filled with people, and I said, God did not cause this to happen. This was not God's decision. God didn't want it to happen. It's not God's will. <clears throat> the three young people were cut off at the prime of their lives. This is not how God works. He doesn't kill his children. So this is not the will of God. So where is Jesus in the middle of this? Jesus doesn't stop all the pain from happening. He doesn't stop the storms. He lost his own friends sometimes. And, and, you know John the Baptist and, and, and Lazarus. And Jesus himself would be tortured to death at the age of 33 That's not how God works is to stop all the evil from happening or the pain or the tragedy. But here's what we know is Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples when they were in the middle of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And that night when these three young people died at the the base of that bluff and in the water, I believe Jesus came walking to them on the water. This is the picture that brings me comfort is to imagine Jesus coming out there grieving, picking up these children, your children, your friends, your family members, and taking them to his father's house, giving them life, where they would see all the things we only dream of on this side of eternity, where they would spend forever with him, where there was no more sorrow or suffering or pain. That's where they are today. We have that comfort that comes from Jesus, who rose from the grave himself, that Jesus came walking on the water for your children. And they are with him. He didn't will it. He didn't wish it, but he didn't abandon them either. And then I said to them, and this is what Jesus still does for us. He still comes to us on the water. To you, he's going to come to you. You have so much pain that you're going to walk through. There's so much grief as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to fear evil because he's going to be with you. He's going to walk to you on the water. He's going to enter into your boat if you let him. And he's going to walk you through, work with you through the grief and the pain that he might redeem it and bring something good and beautiful from it, from the pain. It's not wasted by him. I want to tell you just a little bit about Haley. This is a picture of Haley. She was a beautiful and caring young woman. She was a straight-A student at MU, an English major who planned on going on to law school. She stood up for people who were picked on. She was a woman of character. At college, she looked for kids who others ignored. Her motto on Instagram was, always smile at strangers. And I love this about her. And it wasn't, again, you, you ask the question, well, how could this happen to such a good person? Well, accidents happen. We don't see the bluffs. There are times that storms come along at sea. And in the middle of all of that, it's not that God wills it. It's just a part of the risk that happens. Last weekend, there were two more people who died at the Lake of the Ozarks, a six-year-old and a 56-year-old. It wasn't God's will, God's time for them. It wasn't part of God's master plan. It was accidents that happened. And God doesn't stop all the accidents. He doesn't force us to do something so we never have accidents. He says, I'm going to come to you in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the storm, and I'm going to carry you and walk with you and calm the wind and the waves of your grief and of your pain. Listen carefully. Matthew 14:32 and 33, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. I don't want you to miss this. Why did they worship Jesus at that point? Well, first of all, I think they were so intensely grateful that the wind and the waves had stopped that they couldn't help themselves. But I think they also knew that anybody who could walk on water was doing what God had done. Anyone who could feed thousands of people was doing what God had done. That somehow God had come to them in Jesus. And this is what we believe as Christians, that when we look at Jesus, we see God. We believe that God has come to us in Jesus. And so we worship him. We praise him. We thank him. We entrust our lives to him. We we invite him to step into our boats. And when he bids us to step out of our boats we get out of the boat. And when the waves come and they feel like they're going to overwhelm us, we cry out, Lord, save me. All right. I spoke to Haley's mom a couple of weeks ago, five years after uh, the accident. Here's a picture of Haley and her mom, Lisa. And I asked her, I just said, you know, so five years later, tell me, you know, what's the journey been like? And I expressed my grief and sorrow for her continuing. And she said, the grief continues and, and the pain is still there. And sometimes it feels unbearable. She said, at first I was really angry with God. I did not understand. It wasn't until a couple of years after that that I broke down before God. I'm reading from what she told me. I knew he didn't cause this. It was not his doing or his will. And she said, now I pray all the time. And when I pray, I find peace when I talk to him. Listen, the wind and the waves of the grief and the pain stilled when she talks to him. She finds a peace, Paul says, that passes all understanding to guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus. I I spoke to Ashley's friend, or to, to Haley's friend, Ashley, by email. I said, tell me, you know, what are you experiencing? You know, five years later, she said, well, after eight reconstructive surgeries and, you know, my life finally began to come back together again. I mean, you know, there was a lot of pain. And she said, I still continue. She really, on a daily basis, she said, I feel survivor's guilt and anxiety. I struggle with these every day because of the unknown and, and understanding why this happened and why I'm still here and my friends are not. But she said, in the midst of that, I put my trust in Christ and I've continued to grow in my faith. And as I've continued to grow in my faith, I found my life changed and I found hope and I found him putting the pieces of my life back together again. And, and, and I have this picture that came from her dad. This is of her and her new husband and their baby who was recently baptized here in Kansas City. They live in Denver. And today she's helping out with a nonprofit that serves Uh, people who'd had traumatic injuries. Uh, Again, going back to Haley's mom, you know, Lisa, you know, I said, where do you find relief? And she said, I find it from people who come alongside me and care for me. And she said, I find it when we talk about Haley and we laugh and and I find it when I go serve other people, when I'm caring for other people. And she described things that she had done in Haley's name on her birthday and at other times to be able to help homeless people and others and, and how she found she took her eyes off of herself and she put her eyes on Jesus and on other people. And that brought her peace. She lives in Florida now, but still worships with us online. And finally, I was struck by the young woman diagnosed with stage four cancer this week. And something she said to me, she said, this is my prayer every morning, Pastor Adam. She said, I say, Lord, this sucks. This sucks. And then she says, I say, but I pray that you can use this, my cancer, somehow for good. I pray that you use me as a vessel to bless other people. And when I take my eyes off of my own you know, diagnosis, and I began thinking, what can God do with this in my life now to bless other people? She said, what I find is peace. All right, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to do several things. I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus, to just trust that he's with you all the time, to to invite him into the boat that is your life, to say, Lord Jesus, come into this boat in my life, still the chaos and the wind and the waves. I want you to be able to say, when you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you begin to sink in life, I want you to just reach out your hand and say, Lord Jesus, save me, save me. I want you to say that and really mean it every day. And then I also want you to listen, to hear if Jesus is beckoning you to step out of the boat and to be willing to do that because there is where the real adventure begins. I want to close with these words to a prayer that was written in 1871 by a man named Edward Hopper. He was a pastor of sailors uh, right on the coast in the the northeast part of the United States. And he wrote these words that became a very famous hymn. And I'd like to invite you just to pray them with me if you would. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. As a mother stills her child, thou canst hush the ocean wild. Boisterous waves obey thy will when thou sayest to them, Be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. When at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar twixt me and the peaceful rest, Then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, fear not, I will pilot thee. Jesus, we commit our lives to you. In fact, I'd like to invite you just to whisper this prayer. Jesus, step into my boat, into my life. Strengthen me and encourage me and help me to trust in you. Save me, Lord. And when you call me outside the boat, help me to have the courage to step onto the waves. I offer my life to you. In your holy name, amen.
0: Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship, online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit CORE.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.